Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I play Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support the show, subscribe for free to our YouTube channel where you can get exclusive content. We have a YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com at Clear Eyes Full Hearts. Also, we are continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. So join us as we recap all your favorite episodes, chat with amazing guests, and answer your questions. Email us what you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com today. Season 4, Episode 12, Laboring. It was written by Roland Jones and directed by Adam Davidson, two of my friends. The synopsis from NBC TV reads, Dylan's biggest game brings grief for Coach Taylor. Ooh, short but sweet. Yeah, there's a ton to unpack in this episode, but before we get into it, we're going to answer a few of your fan questions. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Okay, our first question comes from Doug, who writes, In later seasons, Tim gets money from copper wire and house flipping. But in seasons one and two, Tim doesn't have a job, yet he always has money for gas, truck repairs, beer, etc. Where did Tim get his money then? Do you think a booster was slipping $100 or $200 bills into his locker every week? I'll tell you where Tim was getting his money. He was getting it from Billy. Did you give him an allowance? Billy had a job. I mean, we talk about it like early on in the first season, Billy winds up getting fired from his job. He was selling drill bits Uh on an oil field. And also, if you remember correctly, there's an argument that Tim and Billy have. I think it's in episode eight where they have that big fight where Billy says, I'm the one paying the bills around here. And so, I mean, Billy, while he's broke, is supporting Tim. I do wonder how much his allowance every week was, though, because it's really just beer, money and gas. I would guess next to nothing. I mean, at one point in the first season, we see him eating a burrito at the gas station. You know, I mean, that's pretty cheap food. I've forgotten about that slipping the money into the lockers, too. Riggins definitely got some of that money. Well, he probably got some on the side. I wouldn't doubt it. But yeah, I mean, Billy was definitely footing the bills for the majority of their expenses. Good for you. Yeah, good for me. People forget Billy was like 25 years old at the start of this show. I mean, that was his age. I mean, this is a kid taking care of a kid. So yeah, good I for him. I didn't give my money to my sister. That was mine. No. That's not true. I paid half the rent at the house. I didn't know that. Whatever. Let's go. Next question. All Tim right. probably stole money. Let's just go on. Oh. Our next question comes from Paige D, who writes, 
the soundtrack that is on throughout Friday Night Lights is just pure talent, music that evokes so much emotion, matches to an amazing cast of characters. As the cast, when do you hear the music that goes with each scene? Never. Yeah, I mean, I knew the music that went with each scene when the episode aired or, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw a cut of the episode. The thing in editing is they don't add music until it's all edited together to see. Uh-huh. It's really sort of the last piece of the puzzle that goes into editing to make the emotion even more so when that time that you and I broke up and Lila and I get drunk mm-hmm. and we dance together in the script it was to I think it was to a Flow Rider song and they had the lyrics out and mm-hmm. everything so Minka and I practiced to that song and we danced to that song in the scene when we were shooting then they couldn't get the rights to it so they dubbed something else over were you guys actually singing the song while you were in the scene? They would do that no? thing where, like, we would do one take yeah. with the music playing, and so we would have the beat, and then the rest of the takes we would do without the music. But, like, that's what was in our head when we were doing that scene. But you weren't actually, like, singing the actual lyrics no, to no, the no. song. Okay, yeah. No. I know that there were a couple times, like, I have a couple friends who were really, really amazing musicians, and there were some songs that they had that I thought would probably fit really well on Friday Night Lights. And there were a couple of times I went to, you know, Jeffrey Reiner, and I was like, hey, I don't know if... You can use this track at any point, but you know Greg Schroeder. I was just about to say, was it Greg? Yeah. He would be so perfect. He would have been. And I went to Reiner a couple of times and said, hey, you know, this is a buddy of mine. I think that his music would really fit this show, especially in like season three. I said, I think it would be perfect for one of these scenes. And it was right at the end of season three. And Reiner, before we even shot the episode, was like, dude, I already have all the music lined up for like this episode. So he was either lying to me or I think he might have had in advance an idea of what he wanted in certain moments. Our music department, though. They were amazing. God, they were so good and yeah. found so many indie bands that were fresh out of Texas too like they were so specific to the place and the time that we were shooting they like found and made a lot of bands that like in music that you guys would recognize now but they were just like Austin kids when they I we mean, were Leon there. Bridges. Leon Bridges. Leon Bridges played at Buddy Garrity's bar. He was there. He was there playing live yeah. and all this, I mean at the time nobody knew who Leon Bridges was. He was, was just so a, cool. a local musician who was you know I mean I think that might have been his first big exposure was being on Friday Night Lights. You know. Also there are musicians who loved our show like Kings of Leon. Yeah. They wanted to be on the show I think. That was crazy. We could tell that story. You could tell. That's my favorite story. Kings of Leon was like at the peak i mean sex is on fire was like the number one song in the country at this point in time if i'm not mistaken the drummer had reached out to taylor kitsch yeah because they watched the show on their tour bus yeah and so they were all big fans of the show and they got pretty much everyone in the cast backstage passes to the show because they were playing at acl which is a huge music they performed at acl i mean literally like a hundred thousand people in the audience eddie vetter came out on stage with them eddie vetter with a tambourine yeah it was so cool. It was nuts. It was nuts. I mean, that was kind of an out-of-body experience for me. Just like we were standing backstage watching them perform. And then you go backstage after the show and I'm sitting there hanging out with Eddie Vedder. And I'm like, yeah. this is surreal. It was one of those few times where you're around someone that's had such an impact on your life and is so famous that like there really is nothing to say to them. You just can't, you know. They were so cool. They went to like, um, not Broken Spoke, but like a dive bar with us too. And they yeah, we just, went to a dive like, bar with them. They I like remember just that. They did like Texas, like. They were like Texas guys. Yeah, really cool guys. I'll never be that cool again, ever. No, I don't think I'll ever be that cool again either. I do remember being backstage at their show, though, and the catering at the backstage for ACL, they had, like, rattlesnake. It was all kinds of weird food. Maybe that was in Eddie Vedder's writer. Maybe. In Eddie Vedder's writer, he needs rattlesnake backstage. It was weird. Like, (laughs) the fact that there was actual, like, rattlesnake back there, and I tried it, and I was like, yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think... 
I'll ever try it again. That was a big day for you. It was a big day for me. I <laughs> met Eddie Vedder. I ate some rattlesnake. <laughs> it was a big day. All right. Our final question comes from Sam K, who asks, where do you think the McCoys are now? In hell. Hey. Oh, my God. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm thinking that Mrs. McCoy, obviously the divorce is finalized. If we're talking like now, no, no. like 15 years later, where are they now? I'm guessing that the divorce was finalized. Mm-hmm. She is remarried and married a decent guy this time around. I'm going to guess that young McCoy wound up getting a D1 scholarship to some school. And after the first year of his D1 scholarship, he wasn't starting. His dad was putting it in his head that he was better than the other kid that was starting. And so they went into the transfer portal and JD ended up sitting out for a year. In that year off, he met a girl, started having a relationship with her. I got this all figured out. Derek has a whole (laughs) thing. I'm going with it. Has started having a relationship with this girl, got distracted from football. His dad was on his ass 24-7. He started smoking weed occasionally, (laughs) started doing some recreational drugs. Oh, God. Ended up having a little bit of a drug problem in college, kind of failed out, stopped playing football entirely, and then has spent the last, like, six or seven years of his life trying to get his feet on the ground as he's kind of recovered from his drug problem. I actually see that. Meanwhile, Joe McCoy, I don't know where Joe McCoy is. What do you think Joe McCoy's doing, Stace? Drinking, just in the bottle. Wasn't he an alcohol distributor or something like that? Yes, or was it like vending machines? It was something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but drinking. I like your JD storyline, and I think you need to write that script. (laughs) Not necessarily that it's JD McCoy, but like I would watch that post-redemption story. I'm kind of stealing it from an actual guy who we talked about on the show named Todd Marinovich, who was a high school phenom, and that is similar to what his story was. He kind of spun out of control once he got a little freedom. My big hope is that JD is in therapy to talk about his daddy issues is what I really hope. You know, Todd Marinovich is now like a uh, artist and like is basically, you know, forgiving his dad for past transgressions or whatever and like kind of moves on with his life. Okay, thank you guys for all the questions. We love hearing from you. Please keep them coming. And now we're going to move into the behind the scenes rewatch portion of the show. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. At the Lion Field, Aikman and McCoy are just rubbing it in Coach's face. And I hate them. You hate them? (laughs) You know, I almost forgot how much I actually hate Joe McCoy. And this opening scene just reminds me of how much I can't stand the guy. Wonderful job by D.W. Moffat to just make me want to punch him in the face. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just the cadence, the way he delivers his lines. It's everything. I just want to punch him right in his face. Smug face. Smug and smarmy. And he just, ah, he does a great job at making you want to punch him. Yes, the field is run down and there's some problems with it, but boy, are they just 
rubbing it in his face like oh, look how yeah. dilapidated your stuff is we're so much better Ugh. shut up Aikman. and the reality is it's because all the money's going to the dylan panthers it's not going to this school you know so yeah. they know what the problem is it's not the coaches like neglecting the field there is no money to pay for the field yeah that's what i mean when like they're rubbing it in his face like look where you are now look what we did yeah, to you exactly yeah like look what we did to you Ugh, i can't stand it Skeeter. I sort of thought we weren't going to see Skeeter again, but he comes running in and Becky brings Tim a bunch of his stuff from the trailer and then he gives her this cute little snow globe and Tim said, my mom gave me that. Is this the first mention of your mom that we've had? It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. I do want to say Skeeter is kind of like the Santiago of the animal kingdom on this show. Skeeter pops up and then all of a sudden Skeeter's just kind of gone, kind of like Kit Kat or Cow. It's a very dark backstory with Skeeter, guys. You don't <laughs> want to know <laughs> something's going on like yeah skeeter and kit kat the longhorn steer that we bought where oh, is that longhorn kit steer kat. anyway we never really learned much about mom on this show at mm -hmm. all billy says in the first season in a scene with tyra that mom was a mess she spent most of her time sitting on the back porch sucking down bourbon and cokes chain smoking menthol lights she was always screaming about something you Ooh. know in three years she never once came to see me play football oh my god i don't remember it being that dark that's a lot yeah and other than that i can't really recall any other convos about mom except that she wasn't there you know billy sometimes throws it in tim's face like she wasn't yeah. around or she's not here but i am yeah. but we don't know where she is and tim and i used to joke before scenes like, hey, you seen mom? And actually, <laughs> Taylor and I would joke about it. But it's also one of the things I love about this show, and I've talked about this before. There are some shows where they will just immediately, like in the first five seconds, be like, you know, mom's not around because mom's dead and you're not the boss of me. Yes, it's like in TV shows where they call each other brother. Hey, listen, yeah. brother, listen. And I'm like, no, we know he's your brother. Nobody says that in real life. Stop it. I get it. I mean, we're four and a half years into this show and we still have no clue where mom is and what happened mm -hmm. to mom. Same with my dad. And I kind of like that i mean we know vaguely that she had some issues you know obviously she had a drinking problem we know that she was angry we know that she had probably after meeting dad some issues with dad but other than that there's not much to go on and we know that she left these kids yeah it's like know. not it's not the audience's business there are some things that like you don't need to know there are things about me that you don't know in real life you know what i mean and vice versa what tell me everything on this podcast right now <laughs> okay stacy do you know that last night i used a zit sticker you guys, Derek. And it worked. Derek's just—he's like, do our, me and our producer. You could, you guys know there's these stickers you can put on a zit, and they just evaporate overnight. And we're like, yeah. And he's like, what don't you tell me these things? Yeah. What else are you guys holding <laughs> out for me? Instead of sending questions, if the female listeners on our show could send me all the things that I need to know that I don't Skincare know, tips. like I didn't know these zit sticker things existed, and they work. They work. So they what work. else? What other secrets do you women have out there that you're so holding, many. holding back from us us men? So, so, we need so to know many these secrets. Your skin looks amazing. No thanks to you. Tim Riggins has carried wherever he goes this plastic snow globe with yeah. him. Yeah, isn't that really like a beautiful little thing? It was a quick second, but it's huge yeah. for his characters. Like something that I know now that is like pretty massive to me. It's not even like a fancy snow globe. It's like oh, a $1.99 gas station plastic uh -huh. snow globe that she probably bought on a bender one He's night. He's going to keep it forever. But it means the world to him. God, that's so sad. Oh, uh, Rollin Jones is so good at doing stuff like this. Grab your heartstring and pull yeah. it and pull it and pull it. It's really manipulative. It's completely manipulative and he's so good at it. <laughs> and he's a masochist. Sure. We'll talk about that later in this episode. Okay, this scene, I guess where I'm going into labor for real this time, mm -hmm. 
I don't remember it at all. And you need to put some pants on. You know, that's kind of insulting to me that I'm in my underwear running around with my junk basically hanging out and you don't have any recollection of it at all. Was it written or were you like, guys, can I take my pants off in the sea? I think I said, can I take my pants off? Because when you were running out the door and they were like hanging down, I was like, oh my God, he's going to fall. He's going to trip. Yeah. And I mean, I know people always say, oh, it was cold that day. It was cold that day. And I don't mean (laughs) because of shrinkage, although I'm not exactly proud of what I was presenting to the world in this moment, but I will say it was cold that day. And I remember that not specifically because of what was going on in my nether regions, but because my feet were freezing and I was running around barefoot on that tile floor and having to run outside. And you have a visceral memory of it. I don't remember it at all. I'm just screaming things at you. And then I also have a visceral memory of my father calling me when the episode aired and he goes, (laughs) hey, I got clients that watch this show and friends that watch this show. It's embarrassing. Uh And I go, shut up. It's embarrassing watching it now, 20 years later. I'm like, what was I doing? My parents had to watch me give lap dances. Yeah. Okay, we're at the wake for Calvin because you are correct. He did pass away. I completely missed that line, but in the... When they show the, like, last episode on Friday Night Lights, and I heard Michael B. say it, and I can't believe I missed it last time. I'm really bad at my job. I apologize to you. No, I think sometimes you get caught up in the emotion of a moment, and you're like... I was so in it. I I was like, he went through a thing, and he's crying. It was a big, big deal. And I missed that he said, you know, his friend died. Jesus. This is also my second potentially third go-through on this show of watching it. So, yes, I remember these things. pretty big plot point that I should have seen. But Kennard. Kennard shows up at the wake for the boy that he like essentially it's kind of his fault that he got shot yeah for sure talking about Rollin Jones the writer Uh, of this episode making me just like he does such a great job of creating this tension this whole situation with Vince is just right like where's Vince gonna go he's got nowhere to go he's got no out in this whole situation with Kennard he's caught in a trap and he has to get this money yeah he's caught in a trap it's like okay on the one hand like you can Get your mom out of the rehab that Kennard is basically paying for. Or you come along on a basically murder drive-by that we're going to do to go kill these guys out of retaliation. Yeah, it's essentially you do this drive-by with me or yeah. your mom dies. Like, those are honestly his choices. The stakes are that high. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's wonderful writing because the stakes are that high. It's Rollin Jones being a masochist oh, once Rowan. again. Also, you guys, the definition of drama is conflict. And I feel like yes. Rollin especially takes that in more than a lot of other writers. He's so good yeah. at conflict in like conflict with other people or conflict with yourself or conflict with nature or whatever it is. But like, oh, he's so good at it. Yeah, so good that I want to punch him in the face. And what did he say when he was on the show? He said something like they called him the conflict tornado or something like that, or the tragedy tornado or something. I believe it was abortion tornado. What's it? I believe so. It was AIDS tornado. Oh, God, it's even worse. (laughs) He's keeping it and don't edit out Miranda's AIDS tornado. That was our producer, Miranda, jumping in and letting us know it was the AIDS tornado. Yeah, wow. Meanwhile, I believe I told you that the situation with Tammy and Becky and Becky's abortion was not going away. And Mm. even though I know what's going to happen, it still makes me angry when I watch it unfold. This is another situation where you're just like, she didn't do anything wrong. And it 
pisses me off. She's going to lose her job over this, potentially? This is where I finally understood, and I'm on your side. When she said I wasn't on school property and she wasn't my student, I'm like, oh. Then what she did was actually even more correct than I thought. Because she was doing it just as yeah, a human. And she didn't drive her to Planned Parenthood to have an abortion. No. She just said, these are what your options are. She told her what the these options are. These are all of your options. She talked about adoption. She talked about take care of it. She talked about all of this. She presented it to Becky, and Becky got to choose. Except not, because her mother didn't let her. But I but... have seen in my own personal life, friends of mine and former teachers of mine go through some of the political hurdles and BS that you have to go through when you're in academia. The bureaucracy drives me nuts. I would like this storyline to Santiago and Skeeter its way out of the show. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not Except going not, to. Except not, because God, it's so good. You know why this is all happening too, Stacy? Why? Because it's the devil tone. I knew I was going to say it with you and I missed it because I was breathing. <laughs> okay, you guys. I knew she was coming because I got to hang out with her in Sutton. I love her, but Lorraine Toussaint is here. She plays just as Ant. If you guys watch Orange is the New Black, you will know why I absolutely adore everything about her. She's a force. She's hysterical. And she's tall like me. (laughs) But yeah, so you're right. Jess's dad is gone. And we're just never going to talk about it, right? Nope. We're never going to talk about it. Fantastic. That's just how it goes in show business sometimes. It has showbiz, Sometimes you get skeetered and kit-catted and Santiago'd out and nobody really knows why. You know? They love Skeetered. Yeah, I mean, even as a person who was on the show, I couldn't tell you why. I do know that the writers probably had more planned for Meriwether, and then, you know, whether it was a contract dispute, whether he got another job, who knows? I can tell you from a personal standpoint, like, it wasn't anything like he was a jerk to work with or anything. Oh, God, no, not at all. Like, he was great, but sometimes that stuff happens. You know, sometimes people get other jobs. You know, you're on a yep. contract for a certain amount of episodes, and then you get another job, and it's like, sorry, you got another gig. I would like that problem. Yeah, I've only had it once or twice. It's yeah. nice when you got it. <laughs> you are just pure physical comedy in this episode. Like, not all the time, but there are like three good slapstick farce moments that make my heart happy. I'm not going to lie. I will say that I felt like I was in a different episode than everyone else. Because I guess this that. is a pretty heavy dramatic episode, and I think that Billy Riggins is definitely comic relief in this one. But yeah, I am doing some broad, slapsticky shtick. You know, it's vaudeville-esque, and everyone else is in a drama. There's even yeah. one part where I say, I'm the dad. I'm the dad. I'm the dad! I'm the or dad. something like that, which I literally was, like, stealing from, like, George Costanza's father on Seinfeld. That, like, that was my inspiration. Good doing my best Jerry Stiller impression. When they were down on their knees at the Panther Field, I guess I wasn't supposed to know what they were doing, but they were just like on the ground because we talk about it later, but I screamed they're toothpicking the field, even though you couldn't see it. And I remember telling you about how we used to fork people's yards. Like spork them? Like with the plastic forks? Like when you would TP a house, you would fork their yards. Sometimes I didn't, but some of the meaner kids toothpicked people's yards. And like dads would go out there barefoot to see what happened and step on the toothpicks. I have never heard of toothpicking before. Oh, it's so mean. Before this episode. We did have a Crosstown rival when I was in high school. They were called Gulliver. And oddly enough, this is where my brother's wife teaches now. And my nephews go to school at Gulliver. I still can't believe it. Ugh. Ugh. They were our Crosstown rivals. They were our biggest rivals. Gulliver went to our high school and burned a G into the field. Like literally, you know, put kerosene on the field. Dangerous, but brilliant. Yeah, it was dangerous, but also pretty Pretty awesome on there. But yeah, I don't know about the toothpicking thing. To me, it just sounds like a lot of work. It's a lot of work on both ends, but we'll talk about that in a minute. 
Yeah. Okay, I watched this scene. I rewound three times to figure out Paul, this guy who I think is on the school board. He's a superintendent. If yeah. he says he lives 15 miles away or 50 miles away, there's like a vast difference. And to me, I wish that he would just tell us in meters like a normal person so that I knew how far away he lived. Well, I had the closed captioning on and he does say 50 miles. That's so far. Yeah, it's far. I mean, but he's the superintendent of probably multiple schools. I'm the guessing. superintendent of what? I don't know. He's a superintendent. I thought a superintendent was of this city. So there's no way he lives know. 50 miles away in Dillon. Well, just FYI, that's 80,467.2 meters. Stacey. Yeah, I had already done that math in my head. I didn't tell you that at the time. More importantly, he's handed Tammy a written statement where she's being forced to apologize. Once again, it just pisses me off. <laughs> I do love me some David Bourne, though, who's the actor who plays Superintendent Paul Dunley. He's so good. He's great. He's another one of those really solid local Texas actors who just crush every scene they're in. Kudos once again to local casting director Beth Sepko for finding all these amazing actors. And once again, the reason I'm singing his praises so much, guys, is because you probably never even thought about him in this scene. You just went, oh, yeah, it's Superintendent. It's hard. That when job. I tell you that he's nothing like that in real life, but you just buy it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the superintendent of the school mm -hmm. district school board. Also, when he said we wrote something for you and passed her that paper, I thought uh, it was a resignation. I thought it was what she needed to read to resign. And they were just like, obviously, this is what you're going to do. But it wasn't. So I was like, that's no, a No, it's that's an apology letter. It's like, hey, just apologize. We want you and around. Then you'll, just, you just keep your job. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. talking about the bureaucracy that people have to go through in any kind of leadership position when it comes to school. Uh, I don't envy it. Anyway, moving on. So we're having a baby. You're the yeah, dad, sure. you're the dad. You guys, this woman, you barely get to see her, but she's on the bed with me, like crouching down, standing, her feet are on the bed with me. She's an actual doula. And she was telling me before the scene and during the scene what it is actually like to give birth and where I would be pain level wise and what I would need to be doing physically. She was so helpful and so good at just being there in the moment with us. It like made the scene very real. Yeah, and she was extremely helpful to me, too, because, guys, I'm 46 years old. I still am not a father at this point in time in my life. And so I'm sitting there at 31, 32 or whatever, and like, okay, so what is your experience being in the room? How do fathers react? And she told me one thing that I thought was pretty huge. She said that most men are scared to death in the moment. It was something that I definitely use, like where they're going, breathe, breathe, breathe. And I looked down at the area essentially uh -huh. and my eyes kind of went wide and it that, was like a, oh you're my gonna god faint. like yeah like i like <laughs> billy's about to pass out so even though as i was saying guys like i'm trying to you know bring some humor to this and let it be a little bit slapsticky it's still grounded in some form of reality i also had the experience of right before this i was there when chris moreno had his first kid who's one of my best friends you were there like at the hospital i was at the hospital yeah. Oh, wow. I smoked at the time. Did Chris cry? Did Chris cry when he became a daddy? No. Oh, come no. on. I'll tell you what happened. In my mind, not having had children before, I thought it was going to be like this, you know, I'm elated, I'm filled with joy. And he came out from the delivery room, you know, he and I talked for a little bit and his eyes were wide. I mean, wide, like a deer in the headlights. And Chris doesn't smoke, but I smoke. And he was like, God. Do you mind if we go downstairs? And I was like, yeah, we go downstairs and I'm smoking. And he's like, can I have one? And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen him smoke a cigarette in my life. I don't smoke anymore. Just FYI. But yeah. So we're sitting there smoking a cigarette and I said, how are you doing? He said, he's scared. Of course he is. There's this fear, this idea that like it's become real. 
Yeah. Like this is a real thing that I have a responsibility. I have to take care of a life. I always thought it would be like this overwhelming sense of love and joy. They say that when women get pregnant, there's this sense of like love immediately. But for men, the love doesn't really start until like a week after yeah, the baby's born. Yeah, because we have it inside of us yeah. and it's never a tangible thing until a dad gets to hold the baby. And then it's like, oh God, it's real. Yeah. This thing relies on me for everything now. Yeah. Yeah. It was just fascinating for me, having not been a father, to experience that because I thought, oh, well, for sure it would be, you know, just immediate love. And it, look, Chris loves his kids. He, he has three kids now, and he's an amazing father. And I think that part of the reason why he is an amazing father is because he recognized how huge this responsibility is. Mm-hmm. And so I think that gave me some help in playing this scene because it's fear, and especially with the Riggins. It's like, you know, I want to break this kind of this cycle of this family being screw ups. You know? Yeah, there wasn't a lot written for me in this. It was just I'm giving birth and you come in besting I'm the dad, I'm the dad. And I had to want to play it really comedically. And the minute I started talking to the doula, I was like, I won't be doing justice to the story if I do that. So I like yeah. full dive went in. I was really giving birth. And I made them spray me with like a ton of water. So I looked really sweaty and gross. I wouldn't be doing justice to the story if I did it the way I had planned. I mean, it goes back to one of the things that I've talked about on this show so many times is that there are these you know, comedic moments. The situation is funny. You know, Billy running out the door with no clothes on. If you look back on it in hindsight, it's one of those things that I'm sure Mindy and Billy probably joke and laugh about years later. But, you know, in the moment, it's dead serious. It's comedic if you're outside the situation. But if you're in the situation, there's nothing funny about it for Billy. And there's nothing funny about it for Mindy in that moment while her water's breaking. (laughs) It was fun to get to play that. That's one of the joys of being an actor is I feel like I've kind of experienced childbirth at this point in time in my life, even though I've never had a kid. Mindy hasn't gotten to do a lot of things that aren't just her being a little like either gross or ridiculous or stupid or whatever. And so much of the crew came up to me after that scene and they were just like, that was really real. That was really good. Like they were like, we kind of can't believe that you can do that. This is weird and strange. I was like, thanks, I guess. Thank you. (laughs) But it is. It's a touching moment. And I think, you know, given the way that this episode ends, if we make this too comedic and it's too fun, then we don't take it seriously that they have a kid. And now that they have this kid and you see that they love this kid, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, it makes that ending of this episode so much more of a punch in the gut. You're totally right. You know? You're totally right. We had to do it justice. Okay. So it is toothpicks, we find out now. And I just thought, oh my God, our sweet, sweet, wonderful crew had to go to Panther Field and they had to put those toothpicks in there and then they had to take them out. I can't even fathom how long that took. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's so funny when I watch stuff now as an actor and being in this business, like I'll see a scene and I'll go, oh, that actor is freezing their butt off in this scene. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I view things. You know, like, oh, the poor crew had to do this or the poor crew had to do that. I also can't help but wonder if they might have gotten the toothpick idea from Jesse Plemons. I'm not saying that Jesse came up with the idea, but Jesse always has flavored toothpicks on them 24-7. Always. You know, it was great because you'd be like, hey, man, what do you got today? He's like, I got cinnamon, I got spearmint. He's <laughs> so, a toothpick yeah. drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> he exactly. does, though. Always. I don't know if he still does. I'd be interested to find out. I don't know if out, he but... still does, but he would finish a set when we were watching him play music and just right away it would be in his mouth. I gave yeah. Kyle Chandler bacon-flavored toothpicks one time because he used to cook bacon for the crew That's on right. set. But yeah, Jesse, talk about an old soul. What 18-year-old kid is walking around carrying, you know, cinnamon-flavored toothpicks? Yeah, and a pork pie hat and a corncob pipe. That was Jesse Yeah, Clennon. probably also had, like, you know, some Werther's in his other pocket. Some hard candies and cellophane yeah, just some for hard the kid. Candy. <laughs> 
Okay, I do love, I don't know if I would have pictured this, but Tim Riggins being so excited to be an uncle. I wasn't expecting that from him. It's incredibly sweet. Yeah, these are some really beautiful moments. And when you have an actual newborn baby there on set, it just makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like looking at that little kid, it just was like... I don't know. We don't talked know. about this before, but those, they were twins, but the one, like the one I was holding, both of them were only 12 days old. So the entire yeah. crew and everyone on set was whispering. And yeah, like you, me, and Tay in that scene, like we're staring at this beautiful baby. They didn't cry once. They were so yeah. good. And it was one of my favorite days on set because I just got to lay in a bed and hold babies. <laughs> and I love babies. You guys, I love, love, love babies. It was heaven. I love that the three of us kind of had it in our head, too, that this was like, you know, after all the craziness and, you know, Billy running around frantic and blah, 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 blah. It's like, boom, the seriousness of this situation. And it, as I said, I think having a real child there and, the, you know, it becomes serious at that point in time. Really beautiful little moment. I don't know if you remember this, but during, like, in between when we were in that room, the three of us, Taylor would start doing his miming and sometimes Taylor would just sit, oh God, he did a five minute miming completely silent of baiting a hook with a fish and then doing all of it. And then he would like <laughs> wind it and he passed it. And then it was like waiting in the water and he did it for five minutes. And like, you guys, his space work is stellar. <laughs> I don't remember this. It was hysterical. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> I do have to say, this next scene, once again, pisses me off. <laughs> the Panthers break into the East Dillon field and destroy the field with pickup trucks. They're just mudding, basically, through the uh. place, patching out the grass. I mean, it just sent me over the edge. I still have Dillon Panther gear myself. You gonna burn it? Like, I literally, like, watched this and I was like, I can't in good consciousness ever wear this again. That's so funny because Matt Laurier is wearing an East Dillon hoodie that I really want. <laughs> it was a black and white one. Very cool. Yeah, maybe we should. No, we can't. Don't burn it. It's too good. I'm not going to burn it. But yeah, it just it's like, oh, I don't think I remembered how much we hate the Panthers after this season. Yeah, I kind of eh. didn't realize that, too, because I didn't love them before because I, you know, I wasn't around like Mindy yeah. didn't care. So I didn't care. Yeah, whatever. I care now, guys. I care a lot. Keep your guard <laughs> up. Stay angry is what Tim Reagan says to our baby. And I really want to know. <laughs> I feel like it has to be like half and half Taylor. I don't know. It also feels like a Roland Jones line that he would do. But yeah. this scene with the two of you is so freaking sweet. I kind of lost it. Yeah, it was just great to play that, you know, because as I said, I mean, Billy, if he's not being a total jerk, he's comic relief most of the times mm -hmm. on the show. So it's very similar to what you were saying earlier about, you know, as an actor, having the opportunity to play a scene that's a little bit more serious and a little bit more, you know, grounded and you're not comic relief in this moment. It's just a guy who's looking at his child. I don't know if I thought Billy would be that way either. So paternal and yeah. so sweet and so like cooing over a baby. I just I loved it. Yeah. This is what you guys needed. You needed like a little warmth and something in your family. I don't know. I love yeah. it. Becky, 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 Becky tells Tim that she loves him. And I have decided that those two need some time apart. They need to take <laughs> some space and a lot, a lot of space and not necessarily the way that it is about to happen as I know the story unfolds, but they need to not be <laughs> around each other for a very long time. Yeah. You're going to get your wish, just not in the way you want. Yeah. I know. Ugh. Oh, journey. And Mike, in this scene, I gasped at yeah. him, like admitting to her, like, you think I'm a good guy. I'm not. I'm a bad. I'm going to show you how bad I am. I'm a bad guy. I've always been a bad guy. And like punching the wall behind her. And then like, he really thinks he is a piece of crap. Kills me. Yeah, this whole episode for Mike, 
I mean, he's been fantastic since the day he got on the show, but this was like a coming out party. He just crushes all of his scenes, and you can start to see some glimpses of Killmonger in Black Panther. In a little scene. bit. You know, there was this rage. I think Mike has that just innately, you know what I mean? I'm not saying as a human being, but like as an actor, it's all right under the oh, surface. Oh, he's intense. He he's full of intensity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's no surprise to me, obviously, that both of these actors have gone on to have the amazing careers that they have. Yeah, there's nothing surprising about it. They're so damn good. They're both great. God, again, Rollin Jones, too. Like, stop it, man. Rollin Jones doing an amazing job. Casting director on this show. Linda Lowy doing yeah. an amazing job of finding these two actors and bringing them onto this season. Because, as I said, I am completely and totally 100% invested in Vince's story right now. And if you would have told me at episode one of season four yeah. that I would have cared about this guy as much as I cared about Street or as much as I cared about Tyra, I would have said, you're out of your mind. And I am 100% on board, invested. My heart is pounding in every one of these scenes. I mean, it's once again, you know, kudos to our writers, the actors that are playing these scenes and to Adam Davidson for directing this. Such Adam. an intense scene. Yeah. There's a thing that we talk about in work, and it's like chemistry. Like, if two actors have chemistry together, and honestly, you can't fake it. Like, either you have it or you don't. Sometimes you watch two people in a scene, and it's like, they're yeah. great actors, but like, they just, together, it doesn't work. But Journey and Mike, man, I'm not even talking like sexual chemistry, just the chemistry as people together living on the earth. They have it. I could talk about them for an hour on this podcast. For sure. And one of the things that I think comes across in this, we don't know what their history is, mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily know what their history is as actors. But True. we believe that this is lived in. These people have yeah. known each other. Her relationship with Landry is beautiful and it's cute it's and it's sweet. lovely and everything, but it's new. Yeah, it's not lived in. Yeah, lived in, I think, is a good way to describe it. These two have a relationship that is lived in. They have seen trauma together. They've been through a lot together. And even though they may not be perfect for each other, there's a shared history that they have. And it's just completely and totally obvious in these scenes together. Well done. Even if I didn't know what happens in the storyline because I'm a part of it going forward. I would know that just by Tim Riggins saying, I'm so happy, means that something terrible is about to happen to him because this boy is not allowed to stay happy. Nobody on Friday Night Lights is allowed to stay happy for long. And yeah, that's because of the AIDS tornado, mm -hmm. Rollin Jones. Himself. Especially <laughs> he like wears a cape and comes through and just destroys stuff. Yeah, exactly. It just comes in spinning like the Tasmanian yeah. devil. Yeah, the like, Tasmanian what, devil. Okay. <laughs> what can I do to ruin this situation for the Riggins brothers? Because this is probably the only time that Tim and Billy have been happy since the beginning of this show. Sure. There yeah. may be moments yeah. of like him being in love with Lila or whatever, but he, this is like, I, he's yeah. like, I did it. I did a thing. I am so content. No, sorry. No, you're not. Yeah. Sorry about it. Let me pull that rug out from under you. Ugh. The show has always been in drama. It's full of drama. It's full of conflict. Yeah. It's getting really dark and dark in a way that I wasn't expecting. I didn't really know much about the Kennard and Michael B. Calvin storyline, but watching it and I can you guys, I've said it for the past two weeks. I just, I can't explain it. I cannot explain what it is like watching someone that I, as Stacy, care so much about as a person in Cedric and watching Ced play somebody that bad. There are so many emotions within me. I don't have words to explain how weird this feeling is. Because he's so good. And this scene is just so well played by both of these actors. The tension that there is in the scene. He pulls a gun on Mike, on Vince. You know what I mean? And he's got it to his face. And even though the scene ends with him basically letting Vince go in this moment after he pistol whips him in the face with his gun. Yeah, for now. You know that this isn't the end of it. 
This is not the end of it. And so it's once again this feeling like this kid is stuck in this trap and there is no way out. Not yet. I don't see it. It's either you go kill somebody or, you know, I'm going to let your mom die in rehab. Yeah, mom gets out of rehab. Mom, mom dies. Mom gets out of rehab and dies. That's it. Ugh. Like watching the show is a little bit like, I know I'm going to feel bad because yeah. I love these people, but also I like that feeling and I want more of it. That's ooh. So I'll talk about that in therapy. Anyway, Jess, <laughs> after her intense scene with Vince, she crumbles down on the floor outside in the hallway of the apartment complex. He comes back and Jess has not moved. She has stayed yeah. crumpled down in that position on the floor. I love her so much. And in this scene, I just have to say, I'm so glad because it seemed like for a minute, maybe they would when they embrace and they have to hold each other because there's nothing else they can do, but they have to hold on to something. So they hold on to each other. In any other show, they would make them kiss there. And I'm so glad that they didn't because this is real. This is what would happen. They just hold. There's also something really lovely about Friday Night Lights in the sense that Friday Night Lights is not afraid of silence in moments yes. like this. You know what I mean? There's a lot of shows I've worked on where it's like, oh, they're not talking. We need to quit mm -hmm. this scene. I think he says, I didn't do it. Yeah. And a little smile happens and they know they have to hold on to each other right then because they don't have anybody else or anybody else they can tell these things to. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and like talk about this whole entire montage part because it all starts right here. It's this final montage with Vince and Jess and Tim and I and Landry and Bird and then Coach and Tammy. It's just beautifully shot hey, hey. and edited and dan Auerbach's when the night comes starts playing underneath this and it just ties all of these situations together it's just a brilliant job of writing by rollin jones and beautifully directed by adam davidson and i'm in that moment and i think i can say some decent acting from everybody myself oh included. god you and tim in the holding cell jeez yeah, this whole episode, everything all at once, it's another one of those iconic montage moments on Friday Night Lights with this music underscoring it. It's like what we were talking about with the question at the top of the episode, like you guys didn't know that this A would be a no. montage no. and B that this song would be playing under it, but they're so good at it. They just leveled up already what our emotions are and it levels it up so much higher. So I think about the title of this episode and how perfect it is. It's called Laboring and obviously there's me, but the definition of laboring means means working or moving with difficulty and literally everybody in this episode is laboring yeah it's so good yeah and this really is the pin ultimate episode because we've got the season finale coming up next yeah so guys that is it for season four episode 12 but please join us next time for season four episode 13 entitled thanksgiving we're gonna have special guest zach guilford aka matt saracen on the show Maddie. and we're super excited to have him so until then Clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't, can't lose. lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to Pod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Orstano. And I'm also on Instagram and underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.